morning, everybody. Welcome to Better People, Better Business podcast. Um, I'm Andrew Deering. Uh, for those who haven't met yet, it's nice to talk to you and or see you or you see me. I'm joined today with uh, Bhavna, um, Bhavna Meg, Bhavna Patel, some may know her as. And Bhavna is an amazing individual I've known for quite some time and uh, another part of the team inside TDG who brings a whole bunch of wisdom and experience um, and we value her deeply. Um, and today, the conversation, oh, sorry. Hello, Bav. Hello. <laughs> was, I was getting all very carried away as I do. <laughs> My hands are moving and I'm just excitable. Um, so Bav's been uh, working with me and I've had the honour of working with Bav even before we started the Deering Group on TDG. Um, she did some work inside some of the organisations I was fortunate to be with and I've seen just how clever she is and her brilliance in that space. Um, like I said, there's a thousand different rabbit holes we can choose to go down with Bavna, if not possibly 10,000, um, of which she would help us and help us understand in more depth in a useful way. Um, but one of the things that um, we we're going to talk about today was, um, and it's a, certainly a concept or an idea or a practice that's near and dear to her heart, it's all around human behaviour, um, beliefs, and how does that impact on business and culture? You know, oh, that's a meaty one. Yes. Um, and I think it's a cracking one to do with Bav, who has explored this in lots of different frames, lots of different places, and lots of different be it consultant, employee, leader. She's just come at this from a lot of different ways. So, Bav, I'm going to handball across to you and um, kind of go, tell us what your thoughts are around this piece um, in regard to what, why would this matter? How does this play into better people, better business? Um, in an incredibly large way, I'd say, <laughs> in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> what I've seen over the years um, and in, you know, still in organisations that we're working with, um, we're often doing a lot of change at that behavioural level and asking people to implement different tools, different practices, be aligned to the organisational values. Mm. But what we're really not tapping into is the breadth of what the subconscious mind is, which is where all of our belief systems live and drive how it is that we show up every single day. Mm. The, the Where it shows up the most obviously is when we're in stress states. And in the industries that we're working with, where there is a lot of stress states, they can show up quite often. So when you're looking at things like uh, risk management, for example, mm. if we're not aligning, if we don't have behaviours or, sorry, beliefs aligned to being, being safe um, and feeling safe and all of the different behaviours and beliefs that can fit under that umbrella, we're going to revert to what we deem in ourselves at our subconscious level as what safety is. And let's mm. say that might that might actually might be run because that's what I'm used to doing. That's what is in my subconscious mind because the only way that I could be safe ever when I was a child was to run. And that's mm. not helpful in the work environment when you've got multiple people, multiple bits of equipment. So... It's really what I've seen over the years is, and obviously working now with a, a lot more with belief systems, is that when we start to change those belief systems and programming beliefs at the subconscious level that are aligned to where we individually and collectively want to be, it creates so much more ease to show up in alignment with the goal. Yeah. And I think... Um so I'll play a conversation I suspect some people may have. They're kind of going, well, that's all a little woo-woo. Uh, so I don't disagree with you, but I kind of say, how do I hang on to that? So when you talk about that belief system and plugging into the subconscious piece, what kind of stuff do you mean? What kind of things can we do? What type of approach should we take to in a pragmatic way? Because I know... And please, anyone listening, I'm not disrespecting Bev's conversation at all because I know that she comes to this from a deeply pragmatic place. But I suspect some people might be going, uh, tell me a bit more, please. There's lots of different ways that it can be achieved. Um, and I often have scared people <laughs> when, I, when they see that I'm, a, that I'm trained in hypnotherapy. Mm. Oh my gosh, don't look into her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> be careful if she starts swinging your watch or something. Run. Yeah. Um, but there's lots of different 
um, essentially tools that can be used to do that. So beliefs are beliefs. Beliefs are like if you if you connect it, or if I use the analogy of a keyboard, the conscious mind is the tapping of the keys. Everything else that's going on underneath the software, the hard drive, you know, the hard drive that's storing all of the data, all of that is your subconscious mind. Mm. And we don't see any of that unless we take it all apart, but we're not seeing any of the software. We, can't, we physically can't see that. So if we're typing and pressing on the keys, that's just one very small aspect. Um, if we change and upgrade the software, things might start to run more efficiently. And I'm sure we've all experienced this with our laptops, our computers, our phones, as the software requires an upgrade. So when upgrades have been brought forward, things just don't quite work the way that we want them to. Batteries on my phone start to die a lot quicker. And you can say that that's all pre-built in. But when we upgrade the software, things start to run more smoothly again. Um, And that's essentially what we're doing with the mind. We're Mm. working with the software of the mind to upgrade it to be more in alignment with what we consciously want. So tools like neurolinguistic programming, hypnotherapy, and a whole bunch of other ones that are out there um, Mm. are some of the ways that we can access the subconscious mind to... um, to work on what those belief systems actually are and what we want them to be. Mm. And it's, of course, um, it's all done with individual consent. Um, the individual has to be a participating party because otherwise it won't work. We can't mm. just go and do things to people. Yep. And uh, you talked there about you know, the industry, and we do do a lot of work in what we would call frontline high-risk operational environments. Um, and one of the language conversations that, that in those industries have is about being in a place of chronic unease, <laughs> you know, and that's healthy to be chronically uneasy. Um, so in a system sense, yes. In an individual sense, that's interesting um, because it creates this interesting tension to what you were talking about before. So how do you, like with that space, how, how do we think about, you know, needing systemically to be chronically uneasy um, while making sure that we are not making people move across from unease to dis-ease? Because I think that's the risk, isn't it? And is this where some of this work really becomes useful, where you're able to, to reprogram and to manage that and hold that tension more effectively? Yeah, one of the um, observations that I find really interesting in this in, in our industry is that um, we can articulate in so much an incredible amount of detail all of the wrong that could go wrong, all mm. of the wrong that could happen, yep. but we can't to the same level and quality of detail articulate what amazing looks like, what fantastic looks like, what Mm. A really, truly, and excuse the word, schmick operation looks like on a day-to-day basis. Yep. Um, and when we can start to articulate that, we can create more alignment with this thing, with what amazing looks like, and create then, I would say, the state of unease at a chronic level. My personal opinion is that it's not healthy. <laughs> We can experience tension from time Mm. to time, but when we're in a constant and chronic state of unease, we're essentially experiencing stress and accumulating stress in our bodies every single day. And that really limits our ability to be creative, to think of improvements and more efficiencies and better ways to do things if we're in that constant stress state. Yep. Again, slight the occasional stress or tension is healthy to really help people to evaluate, but we don't create from that space and don't create from that state of being. It's fight or flight. That's what our bodies are programmed to be in when we're in stress. Mm. Um, So creating more ease is really for me about well what let's how do we define what amazing looks like first of all and what uh what a healthy operation looks like and then what do our people need to be able to do to achieve that who do they need to be to achieve that 
um, in the same level of detail that we can create a risk assessment, that we can create all of these safety plans that identify everything that could go wrong. Mm. And I think the, thank you, that's really useful. And one of the things I think I'm hearing inside of that, let me just test it with you is, you know, it's, it's the system has to, and I use the word the system, sort of the tools, the process, procedures that are around it, have to be able, have to sit at a level of chronically uneasy because they need to be assessing and understanding. But the individuals inside the system know that that's there and is doing its work and can be, at, as the better they can be at ease inside that system, the more able they are to create opportunity. And one of the tag words we like to talk to, how they're able to be better. You know, and, and I think that's that difference between what a system needs to do mm-hmm. and what individuals need to experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as we said earlier, the the risk of unease or particularly chronic unease and disease, it's a it's a bridge that can be crossed fairly easily. Um, and that leads to a whole bunch of other ramifications and issues that are not good for individuals or, or for organisations, to be perfectly honest, yeah. um, because businesses are nothing more than a bunch of people. And if a bunch of people aren't good, the business is going to be problematic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most um, definitely. And what does that do, I guess, to go a little further, one of the things you talk about is, you know, how does this impact business and culture um, again, it's another word that is has become popular, culture, uh, and we're not talking about the yogurt or the yogurt. I think I got it right in there. Um, we're not talking about that one. We're talking about, but at the same time, it is that, you know, inside yogurt, you don't see the culture, but it's all through it, and it's what holds it together, and it's what actually makes yogurt yogurt. But at the same time, organisations, businesses, the people, have a culture as well. Um, how does this, like, how do you think about this kind of thinking about human behaviour and beliefs? How does that impact the culture uh, on a more macro scale? I guess with um, with organisations, everybody's got their, you know, their values. These are our values. This is this is who we are. Mm. When you go in and um, into organisations, it's almost instantly obvious that that's not who we actually are and the challenge or the 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 disconnect the separation is you know this is the desire the values are the desire but we're not creating the space for people to actually be that we're not creating the space for people to understand what it means to be that and therefore the and the systems tools processes around that, that exists are potentially not enabling the being of that. Um, mm. And of course, we all individually come with our own baggage. So we've got our own emotions. And well, well, hang on, hang on, slow down. So, you know, we come with all of those things, those perceptions, beliefs, and um, who we think we who we think we should be and how we think we should be and how we think other people should be. We come with all of that um, into the workplace. And when you've got a 1,000 people in an organisation, like that's a lot of different individual perceptions, beliefs, and who I should be, who you should be. So those value statements are really important in bringing bringing the whole collective together. But Mm -hmm. if if individuals are not enabled to be those things, that will never be the defining culture of the organization it will be these little little cliques and little groups those will be their own individual defining pieces of the culture and overall it won't really look like anything mm. um cohesive um with i'm trying to oh. think the second part of your question now oh that's cool I, i'm gonna jump in if i can that piece yeah. okay cohesive so i think um and i'm gonna play with that a little bit Culture will always be at a level cohesive. It's more around the intent of what you're wanting it to be. Like, um, so it's like we always talk about this framework, culture slash community slash engagement slash whatever frame you want to talk of, we talk about culture. Culture is always being built, always. Whether you've got a voice in that or whether you've got a conversation in that or not is the question that's often noted. 
And I know yeah. we've seen this in, and you talk about it, you go into different organisations and it's almost palpable. You walk in and there's a value statement on a wall that is looking a little faded. And when it comes to people talking through it, some, some might be able to say it, most don't. Um, and the values the organisation says it holds are lost in the sense that how the organisation runs and works is an incongruence. Um, and there's a tension, to use a word you used earlier, the tension that is, you know, there's actually some of the unease. <laughs> and that does create unease and it does lead to lack of engagement. It makes retention trickier. It talks of talking about people stepping up and stepping in. They're less likely. There's just all of that complexity, isn't there, when you're not thinking through what your culture is and actually I suspect at the highest level the leaders enabling it all the way through. Yeah. Is that a fair yeah. frame? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's really driven from that, from the top. Um, and I've seen that on many occasions where the culture, the values are not being lived and breathed by the, the, the leaders, the managers. So what? why would I as an individual follow them or be them if my seniors are not showing up in in with the same you know the same heart and mind mm. um if they not, work, why would i do it and it's not always easy i think that's the other comment we're not trying to say this is all easy and it's just you just do it it's magical there's mm. a lot of effort there's a lot of deliberateness and there's a lot of systems processes um and challenge inside of it to do it well is that a yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this is, again, where we're coming back to people's beliefs um, and what's going on at that subconscious level. So even unpacking for one person, well, this, these are the organization's values. What do they mean to you? And really understanding what how they play out for that person just in a conversation is mm. then testing, well, are their, are their internal beliefs already aligned? Are they not aligned? Do they want to be aligned? Because I'm, I'm, a lot more people now are looking for organisations where there is an alignment in values and um, and vision and mission. So they want mm. to be contributing. Uh, not that they, people didn't want to be contributing before, but it's very, very um, obvious in the marketplace that this is something that individuals seek. Um, are our values aligned? So I hopefully, where there is alignment, that's great, but still underneath the surface are the belief systems operating in alignment with those values. And we can do the change work there to make it easier to be in alignment with those values if yeah. that individual should, uh, should so wish. Isn't it fascinating, um, just a side note for a second, you know, there was for years there's been organisations doing assessments whether someone's values matches their own um, the tables have massively turned, particularly with certain groups, but broadly everybody, where people say so that may still be happening, but there's also this other piece where people are saying, yeah, I'm not so sure I like what you guys and girls stand for. Yeah. And it's this, you know, it's not, it may not be a formal review process, but they are watching and they are behaving and participating. And, and, and even it's not just before they join, it's when they're onboarding, it's when they're running, and it's it's possibly why we are seeing some data inside different places where people are leaving sooner and faster. Um, what you said back there, what you've got on your wall, is not what I'm experiencing. Yeah. And I have a tension and I will choose to resolve the tension because, you know, if I use a... A practical example, if you've got a big rubber band or any rubber band, the big ones are handy, and if you're pulling it apart, it, it takes a lot of effort to hold that tension in place. Um, people make decisions around whether they want to keep hanging on to the rubber band or if they just, do they want to keep doing that or they just let it go back to its original form? Um, and because and, there's a lot of effort and is the effort useful? Um, yeah. So it was interesting as you're talking, it kind of popped into my head that thought. So with so with that work that you talk about, so if an individual, if an organisation the values appear to align and there's there's some work around beliefs and systems, it could like we all have this, and I know this is a, you're a big proponent of this. It's not no one's perfect, no one's right, no one's you know the golden goose. We all have work to do. So with this type of work, um, 
what does it look like? Like you talked a little bit before about NLP and the hypnotherapy and without getting too far down into your secret herbs and spices. Um, what kind of things can organisations be doing, should be doing? What's useful here? Yes, in a very um, conscious level effort, um, actually having conversations around what values, what um, the desired behaviours at any given level. Um, a lot of organisations will have competency frameworks, mm. as an example, and there might be leadership behaviours, management behaviours, and then um, non-management people behaviours that they want their individual their their teams to be working in alignment with. So where do where do you where do you sit? Where do you sit alongside those competencies and behaviors? What do they mean to you? And that in itself is just creating a level of awareness as to how aligned an individual is. Now obviously to be able to have an effective one of those conversations, there needs to be a lot of trust and openness within the organization. And that's something that you have to um, that you have to culture <laughs> yeah. you've got to grow that if it's not there already um and it absolutely can't feel like somebody's being tested as to whether they i'm being tested to check if i am in alignment with those behaviors it conversation can't start there um so you know who are you How, what what do these things mean to you what does that look like for you um, because values are they they are statements and unless we start having a conversation around what, what does that actually look like how does that manifest into the, the in the real world? How does that mm. manifest in the work that you do? Um, when you've got a value of integrity, or the business has got a value of integrity, what does that look like in on site? When you're doing your maintenance activity, what does that actually look like? Um, and really being able to create some, um, you know, physical sensory information around what what that is because that then paints a picture that's much more real mm. um, much more tangible um, for people to be able to create alignment with and again checking in whether or not that resonates with them it's interesting isn't it like we you and I both have a similar view on competency it's different language occasionally but skills knowledge behavior skills knowledge attitude that type of frame and so often we see organizations that are really interested in skill and knowledge um, and our advice pretty easily is that's not enough. You know, if the person can't behave in the right way, have the right attitude toward the work, you've got a problem. Um, it's going to be problematic. And, and that to me gets really interesting in the frame that you're offering, which is because um, so, so a deep-held belief, the stuff that sits, uh, to, to use your example, sits in the computer in the back end of it. It isn't the keyboard. I can't, you know. It's not here in front of me. It's somewhere in that little box over there, and I don't understand it fully because we often don't understand our own belief systems. It's just something that's been built over 5, 10, 20, 50 years. Um, whatever your frame of life is, it's how long it's been building, um, and, and we don't understand that. But that belief, that base code, makes a massive difference to that tool that system and makes a massive difference to if, if an organization says here's our values at one level and secondary here's a skill knowledge and behavior we want you to have i think it's a piece that we often forget and it's a really good remote like so that's that's good but how does someone's beliefs play into that behavioral expectation like yeah that's pretty powerful yeah um, and I think that's a really interesting one around how do you then, how you help somebody journey become aware of that, such that if it's causing some conflict, they can at least acknowledge it, work through it, deal with it, manage it better. Um, yeah, sorry, it was just useful. It kind of was a little, you've just given me a present, Bev. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 um, yeah, I think, and that's the level of, I guess the level of, of importance, and we're not. I guess we another level. Just so we're clear with people, we're not necessarily saying there's going to be these massive programs everywhere to do. But if you want your organisation to be better, it's all about your people being better. Um, leaders, managers need to understand what it means to lead, what it means to manage, and they're different beasties. Yeah. We've had this chat many times, and a lot of organisations. 
we talk to businesses around hazards and risks, and people often think hazards and risks is one big word, and it's not. The other big word we often see is leadership and management. It's not one big word. It's two different things. Yeah. You know? um, leadership's often about lighting the fire under people, and management's about keeping it burning. You know, it's and we don't talk. <laughs> please don't go lighting fires under people, but I think <laughs> that imagery might be helpful. Um, but you know, and, and inside of that. Um, making sure the leaders and the managers have got the values in mind and they're aligned on it. Yeah. And they're also then trying their best to live it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and potentially, I'm mm. sorry, I was going to say potentially yeah. running some work with people around, and I guess it's another question, when we talk about running some belief work, um, now we're kind of like, we talked a bit about this, I interrupted because I got excited about what you're saying, but what, you know, what can people do with work around belief work? What sort of things? practical things, what they look to include? Because it seems deeply important. Oh, absolutely. And individually, there's, a, there's, an, there's an area of well, self-awareness, really. Um, why do I do the things that I do in the way that I do them? Um, often the questions that I will ask myself when I'm feeling challenged or feeling a level of conflict in something going on in my world is... Um, you know, what part of me is creating this experience? Mm. Um, and there is a part of you creating that experience. You know, it's not somebody else's fault. You're having that emotional experience, that mental experience, that physical experience. It's, there's something within you that's led you to be in that situation and have that experience. So what yeah. part of me is creating this experience? And that in itself... Um, certainly in my experience and people that I've shared that with and um, the question with, it just opens a door, opens a door and little access, you know, little secret access door into the subconscious yep. and, and invites awareness. And um, it's, and I will say it's like you've either, you've got to be brave and vulnerable to allow for this to happen and mm. be open to the information that comes forward. Because if you're not, you, you just shut it and it's not going to open again for you. You may already be aware of why you are the way, why you do things the way that you do things, why you respond to people in um, in stressful situations with yelling and shouting instead of um, clear direction and kindness. And you may already know that, and it, but equally you may not. So, you know, what is your level of awareness and building that level of awareness around why you exhibit the behaviours that you exhibit? Mm. It's really going to start you to start to allow you to tap into what belief systems you're operating. And as you said, those belief systems are, you know, from day dot, you know, and pre-day dot <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but you're, yep. you're, down, you're downloading all of this stuff from your family, your environment, your schooling, your teachers, your peers, and reinforcing things all of the time to really make them solid beliefs. So, um, and what you believe is what you look for. Yeah. So, you know, you're looking in your external envir environment to validate your beliefs. Confirmation bias type yeah. aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely one thing that, at an individual level that you can be doing is just asking yourself, it's like, well, hmm, why am I experiencing this and what part of me is craving it? And it's such a powerful question if you let it be. Um, at a team level, it is having those conversations and so managers and leaders having conversations with themselves um, initially and then with their team members. It's like, okay, well, this is what happened. So if we're coming out of the other side of an incident, what what part of what part of all of us created this? You know, how did how did we create this experience? And being open to just seeing what comes up. And again, it comes back to being able to create what well, and sorry, being able to and creating and having a very trusting and open um, environment and business uh, where those yeah. conversations can be tabled. Yeah, and it's you know, vulnerability, like you talked about, and trust, and, you know, there's a bunch of cool material out there. Um, if people want to go digging, some of the people who probably become a bit more popular for other reasons, folk like Brene Brown, et cetera, um, which just, you know, but there's a range of information out there to, to go looking at. Um, and it is interesting um, being able to have that, 
at its heart, that open, transparent, trusting conversation, it's never easy first up, is it? Um, and I think that's one of the things to be aware of, that, and especially if an organisation has a pattern, and if you have a pattern, and you do, and it does, it always does, and you always do, you're potentially going to be railing against that for a while until you start to create some new pathways. Um, and it isn't just, in, <laughs> this is, there's this whole cleverness we have nowadays that we understand things like neuroplasticity and the brain isn't fixed. It can, like, we, you know, Carol Dweck's work, fixed words, growth mindset. But it's more than that. It's it's the fact that there is, um, you know, there's a uh, Norman Doige, I think his name, talks about neuroplasticity in the earlier days. The brain can change. Yeah. Um, and these pathways that were deeply trodden, we've all been there in the bush where there's a path and it's it's where the, the roos, the wallabies, whatever, they all go on it and it's pretty clear. Um, something's changed and need, you need to change the path. And the initial piece of going off the path is scrub, bush, and deeply unhelpful. Um, it's hard work, uh, but it's useful work. And if you continue to go down that path, a new path will form. But you have to hold that rigor, don't you? That's that's yeah. part of the work. You have to trust into that, and um, and not just do it once. Well, that that didn't work. I'm out. Yeah, it may take, it may take more than one. <laughs> <laughs> just just maybe. Um, and I'm sure in the work you do. Um, so I guess the other kind of make you Bev does work for us inside of helping organisations understand that, and it does does go back to the competency conversation. Yeah, so many people talk about competency as if it's, if it's just this hard, rocky thing, but it's it's such an important, and you start getting a little further and talk about capability and the, the, add the dimensions around that, and and this type of conversation suddenly becomes really, really important. If you want the business to be more productive, more profitable, and the people to be more proficient, this is an accelerator in my mind. Yeah. The more able people are to have great conversations together or individually around not just it happened, but, hey, why did that happen? And it's not your fault or your fault or your fault. It's, as you said, how did I contribute to this? How did I maybe make be a part of making this happen? Yeah. Um, what do I get from this, for this behaviour? What am I getting out of this? Um, I remember getting told a long time ago uh, by somebody uh, around the fact that you know everything is co-created, and the first issue and a whole lot of nonsense, you know, mm. blah. Sounds like a good excuse not to own the blame. I'd have to at least say nowadays, yeah, that was pretty wise in that. Um, yeah, thanks, Ruth. I don't think you're listening, but thanks anyway. Um, and it was that initial conversation of awareness that at some level we co-create everything. You know, this conversation is a classic example where you know, we've got a frame, but Playing off each other, we'd probably go down rabbit holes that I certainly didn't expect to. I don't know about you. You might have, you might be leading all of this, and it's all in your control. Back, <laughs> so um, all my creation, Andrew. Down, down again. You're listening to my eyes. Yeah, I, I noticed that swinging watch that whole hypnotherapy <laughs> took me. Over. But it is that piece, isn't it? Um, being aware of that, being knowing that. We do have base coding and we are humans and we do have certain behaviours and we have a bunch of beliefs. If we choose to acknowledge them, there's the power. Um, yeah. And if we choose to have a chat with them, as you talk about like having a conversation with yourself, I know it's one of the, um, <laughs> I think, you know, a shameless plug, you know, a book I wrote a while back, but one in the first, in the, in the initial conversation of the book, I sort of say, hey, the best conversation you can ever have is with yourself. And everything else gets better because of that if you take the time. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't want to say that I'm constantly having conversations with myself for <laughs> fear of sounding like an absolute loony. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'm frequently doing lots of reflections. So mm. catching, catching thoughts, catching emotional states, catching... Um, reactions when I have them and even when I don't it's the you know the end of the day reflections that are equally as important why did I yeah. why did I have that emotional response oh okay well I experienced that when I was having this conversation 
what part of me created that? Because it didn't feel good. Um, you know, it felt tight in my chest. It felt choked in my throat. It felt really foggy in my head or my hands were doing, you know, were sweaty or clammy. Like those are all physical, those are all physical things that our body is using to communicate with us. That something is out of balance. Um, Absolutely. So it's, you know, tapping into that information uh, to raise or create awareness. I will say though that um, I will add that we are constantly looking for things to be right. Hmm. And when we are constantly looking for things to be right, we keep ourselves in this same state of being. And that's a little bit by design out of uh, mental, physical, your, your mind, body, physiology, because that's a state of being that's become efficient. And we know, like, the body and mind knows how to do this state of being. When we start to try and change, we're experiencing lots of change in our physiology, we're experiencing change in our emotional state, our mental state, and it is in creating, trying to create a new habit, we're experiencing this kind of resistance, mm. um, which when we work at the belief level and we work with the body, we can create more ease around that situation and around the change, but there is that. So we are then trying to constantly look for just being right, going back to this known state of being. Yeah. Is this easy? Yes. Yes. And that that ease is different to the ease of flow, of um, creativity. It's easy because it's known. We know how to be frustrated. We know how to be reactive. We know how to... um, you know, run away when it's dangerous because that's what I've learned. That's what I learned to do when I was a kid. Um, so all of those things are known and our body knows how to respond to that. Our body knows how to function in that state of being. But it's, it's not it's, a great one. No, uh, yeah, well, at least not being able to challenge it is the issue, isn't it? And yeah. I think that, you know, when you've got a pathway that, you know, if I use the elastic band thing again, it, it, unless you're holding that tension for an extended period of time, it will return to its original form. It just does, and it wants to. It's, yeah. it, it's pulling back there. And the other the other picture I had in my head was as you're talking about, if we use that pathway piece again, um, going back to the original pathway, the one that's easy, it's not better, it's just easier. And it's actually, and also often it's actually not easier because it leads to far more complexity, but that's a, you know, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole too far. Um, but there is a better path. And that path that you keep going that's easy, um, if you walk in that path enough times, it potentially becomes the rut. You know, it's hard to step out of the path. We've all been in paths that have been trodden so much that they're actually, you know, they're, they're six inches, 12 inches lower than the rest of the ground around them because it's just been trodden in. Mm. Exceptionally difficult to get out of harder mm. to get out of, requires effort to get out of. Yeah. Um, but that effort is worth the time and yeah. the expense. And it is the expense, isn't we're not just talking about money, it's about time, it's about effort, it's about mental rigor. It takes effort. Yeah. Um, but huge dividends can be paid. So yeah. and using your um, your elastic band analogy, like holding that tension when you've created the change and come into mm. more alignment with where you and who you want to be this from here to here where the tension was this is now the ease of the rubber band yep and we can create tension again to have even more expansion even more absolutely so we're establishing new states of what normal actually is um and that may show a little bit more contrast in what, in what doesn't serve, which is great. It's all just it's all just learning and awareness. Mm, it's powerful. And you're right, when you do hold it in that, it, it will shift shape. It will. But it just takes the time and the effort to hold in that space, which is your time and effort and your willingness, your commitment. It will change. You know, the elasticity, as we talked about before, the brain is elastic. It can change. Um, if you give it the space and the time and the love and the care, it will go there and you will be better for it. Um, there's one little jump back, way, way, way back, and I'm mindful of time and the generosity of what you've shared so far. 
one of the things we're talking about with culture and one of the models that we use in TDG is around you know, work is designed, work is imagined, work is done, and work is desired to try to find a workers' flow outcome. And I was just when you were talking about the culture stuff, I went, you know, surprise, it, it fits the same ideology. You know, culture is this culture is um, designed, the stuff on the wall, the books, the, the rhetoric. Culture is imagined. Leaders all think, supervisors think, managers think. And then there's culture is done. What's actually happening out there in the, in the field, in the office, in whatever work environment? What's actually happening? Mm. And often, nearly always, they're incongruent. The question around just how incongruent is the thing that I'm that is interesting. And that last box that sits or last bubble that sits inside the, the culture is desired. Well, that's the interesting opportunity piece. You know, how do people want to do work and how do they want to show up? And what does that mean? And, and that's the journey that I think businesses can go on. And it needs to acknowledge that we are a bunch of human beings and a bunch of human doings. Um, and that's okay. And we've got a whole bunch of beliefs and stuff. Um, and they, they're all wonderful resources if you want to invest the time and energy. Because um, to me, the last comment or last question I'd ask you is, so this is all good. So from a bottom line perspective, will this improve my business's outcomes? Because if we're better people, better business, is this work going to do that? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I've, yeah, the work, um, individuals that I've worked with, I mean, even for myself, at that belief level, when I've worked with individuals, particularly around their businesses, um, they've seen improvement in themselves and their ability to be more creative, to have more space to um, lead, to manage um, and start focusing beyond what is the next week, the next month. Mm. Um, and I'd say one of, you know, the observation that I made around risk of like being able to describe in so much detail what could go wrong versus no, what could go right. I've, I've never seen it in the same level of articulation. What could go right? Yeah. Um, it's is also the, the observation alongside that is that safety has been an issue in the industry for such a long time, and change is only as a result of things going wrong. So, what if we what if we move to describing the thing that it is that we want, and what if we moved people to be more in alignment with what it is that you know amazing and right looks like. What if we worked at the human behaviour subconscious level so that people feel and then be safe? Um, and actually, it was um, I was reminded of that when I was reading um, that Simon Sinek book that you... That you Infinite uh, Game? Gift, gifted, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that one, yeah. Um, and it talks about, you know, having a safe environment and people feeling safe because... Ultimately, I mean, as human beings, we do want to feel safe at a physical but emotional level. And when we feel safe physically, emotionally, mentally, we will open up more, we will um, share more, we will create more. Mm. It's powerful. And I, I, um, and I think the thing that is most poignant to me inside of this is organisations do, do a bunch of work around behavioural awareness and training and there are some who are now talking about psychological safety and that aspect of it but very few take the time to realize that there's this massive enabler or disable that sits beneath all of that individually which is the beliefs that we each individually hold as well yeah like if we're not if we're not working with that you're basically trying to disarm you know one level of uh, complexity, but there's this other one sitting beneath it that is far more so it's sort of the glacial type piece. All of these beliefs, we, we're dealing with a behavior piece here, and and yet there's all of these beliefs sitting below the surface that are massive yeah. um, for organizations if they want to, an individual, so if they want to see a shift, if they want to do better, it's about looking at that, not just let's fix your but let's talk about behavior and yeah. You know, you can never truly be psychologically safe unless you understand what beliefs are enabling are, are driving you toward not 
wanting to be or not mm-hmm. feeling like you can be. Tell me about that because mm-hmm. you're going to be yeah. spending a bunch of time and energy on this program and there's this whole exactly. base program going, no, 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 exactly. stop, run, get away. <laughs> and they go, I don't quite know why it didn't work. Yeah. And we've learned, um, and certainly programs that I've taught in that behavioural space, um, you know, you get you see the iceberg model, which is essentially what you're alluding to, and we only give feedback on the behaviour. So yep. models that I've used are the EEC example effect change or continue. So we specifically identify, well, what was the exact action that took yeah. place? What was the effect that it had? You know, and that's your own personal observation. And then is that something that we want them to change or continue? But that's still very behavioural focused. And, um, you know, you don't give feedback on people's personality is something that I remember from, gosh, probably 15 years ago when I started, when I was kind of a quarter of the way into my career. Um, and it's like you don't give feedback on people's personalities, but that's where our beliefs live. And we're not necessarily saying go give people feedback on their personalities. It's let's open up that, that personality box and say, well, what's the driver behind this? What what was it that what what part of you was it that felt that they needed to felt like you needed to do that, um, good or bad? Because then we're you know we're reinforcing the good beliefs that we want to continue to see, um, and we're or even checking that they even exist. Because if they do, yes, let's celebrate. You know, people are coming are more in alignment with the kind of world that we want to be creating, the kind of business that we want to be creating. Yes. If they're not in alignment, then okay. Well, you know, what do we what do we want to do about that? What you know, who do you want to be? How do you want to change? Um, and really opening up, you know, everything that is below the surface. It's like let's tap into all of that information. Mm, that's gold. I, I um, thank you, Bev. As always, your uh, insights and wisdom are uh, incredibly generous, and I'm sure people have. Uh, picked up a few things, if not a bunch of things. Um, and look, let's be honest, you and I both love the analogy metaphors. I think we talked about computers and pathways and um, what else was there? There was elastic bands and, you know, but again, the reason why we try to offer these models is for people to truly think about how they may share this with their team or their friends or their relations because these kind of analogies and metaphors help you attach an awareness to it. Um, so it's, so for people that kind of go, gee, use colourful things, yeah, because we're really trying to help you understand this to a better level so that you might be able to do some of this exploration yourself. Um, but thank you, Bev. It's gold to think about, and I think the key takeaway for me is, you know, when we think about the original frame of human behaviour beliefs, its impacts on business and culture, oh, man, like it's, it's massive. Um, and I think the massive piece for me is the, awareness businesses are starting again broad statement are starting to wrestle or have been wrestling with the behavioral aspect um, and are trying to talk about safety both psychologically as well as physically or process etc personal safety etc etc but the thing I think is a less comfortable space for organizations and I think a really powerful space to truly create an organization that has got some serious horsepower and has got some amazing alignment is around the beliefs on an individual level, on a team level, on a business level. What are the beliefs that sit, this coding that runs everywhere? Because it sets an agenda, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's a music when you walk, as you talked about, you walk into an office, a business, an office, a, a group or whatever, and if you're fairly attuned as you are, pretty quickly you go, yep, I hear the music. There is a music, it's playing, and you, more than likely, the individuals involved are completely unaware of it. Um, it's partly why, you know, the work we do do is being able to come in and say, right, are you comfortable with this record? What record? There's no record. No, there's a record playing. Sorry for old people, for young people. Um, there's an MP4 playing or, a, you know, we've got our Spotify on. Sorry, that was really old, wasn't it? Um, you know, Spotify, is pl- you've got your playlist. There we go. How's that for contemporary bands? Is that impressive? You've got your playlist running, but people are completely unaware that there's a playlist, playlist in action. And the work is for us helping organisations and for you, the work you do with organisations with people, 
is making them aware of the playlist and then helping them choose if that serves or not. Because mm-hmm. we're also saying not every playlist is wrong. Yeah. The question is around does it serve? Is it enabling? Is it useful? Um, any last pearls of wisdom or nuggets from you, Bev? Oh, Pressure on you there. Come I on. know. I was like, oh, put me on the spot. <laughs> be open. Just be open and explore yourself yeah. because that's mm. when you can invite the information. Mm. Sorry, excuse me. <coughs> be open and ask the question. You know, how am I co- how am I creating this situation? What part of me is creating this situation? And yeah, awareness is so powerful. Yeah, it is. It's a gift. Thank you, Bev. And thank, thank you. you for those who are listening or watching. Um, I hope this is useful. If you want to know, if you want any more information, like both of us reach out, have a chat. Um, we do this stuff on organizational level with businesses and with teams, and I'm also happy to say Bev does this with people as well. Um, on a very individual basis, helps them uh, do this work. Um, and it's always easier. One of the comments I make to people, you know, with this the sort of work Bev does in this space, um, you know, you can go on the journey yourself, you can buy a bunch of books, and that's also wonderful and it's useful. Um, but getting someone to help you along the way, it's always easier. The view is always better on the shoulders of a giant. Um, and someone who's done a bunch of work in this already, I think it's really powerful to potentially leverage that, um, and that is who I'm talking about. So if there's conversations there, um, I think the, uh, you know, obviously in a business level, come and talk to us at TDG on a personal level and, and even from a team construct, feel like to reach out to Bev and stepping into you. I think I got it right. Um, and, uh, you know, either of us happy to have conversations because really what we're after is helping you be a better version of you. Um, and the awareness that better people lead to better business, which is just better. Indeed. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Bev, and your wisdom. Thank you, Andrew. You have a fantastic day, and everybody out there, I hope you have a cracking day as well. Bye.